Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus and Why, I am joined by Steve Katchik. Steve, hello. How are you? Hello, Amy, and thank you. And welcome. Thank you for welcoming me to your podcast. Well, we've been talking about it for a while. It was actually about four or five months ago that we first started to have the conversation. And as you know, I've got I've got a waiting list. So I'm delighted that we're finally having this conversation here today because I want to explore why you do what you do. Yeah, and it's really it's I'm really glad I'm here today. It's um it's great to be here. Brilliant. So let's kick it off with the question that I always ask everybody, which is what is it you're doing at the moment? Okay, what I'm doing at the moment, I'm putting my focus onto um, if, if sales through service. It's really about sales through service and those moments of truth that the individuals give people. I actually I call it the secret sales force, and it's not. It's aimed at the fact that in every company, everybody should be in service first. Everybody is also in sales, and everybody should step up and take ownership on top of whatever their defined job role is. But I think first and foremost, we are there to serve. That's my belief. And that's what the secret sales force is. I love that, that we're all there to serve. But what I love even more is the moments of truth. Tell me a bit more about what that means. Well, I, I like following someone called Jan Carlson. Um, he's, he's retired a long time now. He was the CEO of Scandinavian Airlines and was brought in at a time when it was really troubled. And he turned it around completely by giving by empowering everybody who was customer facing and customer facing could be accounts receivable anybody who was talking to a customer at that time had the, was empowered to make a decision to do whatever was right for the customer and that effectively turns leadership around a little bit so the leaders had to serve rather than just delegate and it, what it means is every time you interact with somebody every interaction is a moment of truth and it can be a memorable moment for a good reason or for a bad reason, or it could be just not memorable, in which case we forget about it. So I, I, so I focus on those moments of truth. And if I just said, I mean, the customer experience, in part, that's what I'm doing. But it, the customer experience covers lots of processes and systems and other things. I focus on the human interaction. Because it's people, the difference that people make when they interact with other people that can overturn a bad experience, or create the right experiences. So it's the people I focus on, developing the people and developing the culture to be focusing on those customer focus and those moments of truth. And you mentioned there, Steve, about every, empowering people to be who are customer facing, to do whatever is right for the customer. Now, I want to ask you the question, is the customer always right? That depends what you mean by right. That's debatable. Um, 
it's not that the customer is always right, but it's about doing whatever is right for the customer. So there's a quite a, dis a distinction there. And is it worth winning the, the, a battle to lose a war? We may know that some customers are trying things on. So what? It's not about that. It's your brand reputation because they can be telling people if they're dissatisfied. So get known for serving the customer. And your focus is on human interaction. You just me mentioned their brand reputation. The people are the brand, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. The people can make or break a brand. No matter what the C-suite and the CEO says, it's the people that can break it or make it. And have you always worked in customer service here, Steve? I've, I've worked in customer-facing roles most of my career. I mean, starting in the Army and the, in the REMI, where I used to repair electronic equipment, so effectively I was a customer engineer, effectively. I came out of the Army, I was a customer engineer, a support team, um, a team leader, before I moved into account management. I even did a job as site manager for a while. Um, so I've always been in customer-facing roles in one form or another, either on the front line as a team leader, as an account manager, um, and all different roles like that, before moving into the learning and development, which is still, to my mind, about serving people. Yeah, so from serving in the army to serving in, in, in the shops and various things there. Yeah, I've always worked in technical companies, so... Um, various type of ones. You know, the last employment was with IBM, who brought in the company I was working for, well, twice got merged, and that was in data communication. Today I'm in, in customer communication, um, not as opposed to data communication. I do also specialise on communication. You know, it's a two, up, two strings to my bow. I do focus on communication, whether that be one-to-one, -one, handling those challenging people, those difficult conversations, uh, or whether it be hand, how to sort of stand up and speak with power. But that all comes in, to my mind, certainly that communication generally comes under customer service and comes under the customer experience. And do you discern a difference, Steve, between communication and human interaction? No, I think um, human interaction is, is communication and it doesn't have to be verbal. Any type of interaction you have with somebody else could be online and could be on the phone, could be just watching facial expressions. It is communication. We're interacting. I love that. So what is it that defines your purpose? How does your 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 why fold into what you do? Yeah, it's, it's changed a bit over the years. I've wondered about that. Um, my purpose changed dramatically after I lost my wife, and that was a long time ago now. Uh, and it took a long time to find what I really wanted. I realise what all I'm about now is I do I do like to contribute. I like to make sure I, I give to people, uh, and but it's more than that. I've I've worked in roles at times where I was unfulfilled, and you know it really drains the energy out of you when you're unfulfilled, and when you don't feel you've got support from above. So now I think I like to make it now that the employees feel empowered feel they've got a purpose in doing the job. It's not just do this and get on with it. They can make decisions and that they're in the role they like. And if they're not in the role they like, what can they do to move on? And what support have they got to help them move on? So it's through personal experience. I've had a time when I was in a rough time and um, I, I really felt unfulfilled and, I, and each day was just a dredge. And you mentioned that you lost your wife a long time ago. How did that shift or how did that change your purpose? 
Well, I think for a good time, I, I didn't have any purpose. It was just survival. Um, she was not only my wife, she was my best friend, my partner, everything. And um, I made myself think I had to go through the anniversary twice before I could begin to pick up the pieces. And it took time, you know, to pick up the pieces. And slowly, slowly, I, it was just getting back into work. Because I was at the time a customer engineer going out on site visits, repairing things. And I couldn't do that for, for quite some time. So I had two young children. But slowly, as life comes back in, it just began, I think it became to be put back, do my job again, do something useful, not just be in the background. And now I think it's because, as I said, I realised that in, I was in a role at one time which was totally wrong for me. I was going through, in fact, at that time, the breakup of my second marriage as well. So I'd remarried some years later. And I just wondered, what am I doing? What am I doing? So I started personal development. And I started with the Landmark Forum and the Landmark Curriculum for Life. So I did an advanced course in a self-expression and leadership program. I ran some events to raise funds for charity because that's part of the self-expression and leadership to hold events. And actually, when I started doing that, I suddenly found people started looking to me to do things as though I was a leader. And, I, and I'd never thought of myself ever as a leader before. And that's when you realise that leadership is many things. It's, it's not just walking the corridors of power in a large company. So that's probably what started me to think, yeah, I can do things to other people. You know, I raised over £3,000 for cancer research. Um, my humorous speech was about, partly about um, exercise, but I brought in a true story about running a half marathon at Reading three times and how totally unprepared I was. But I raised a lot of funds. So does it take a marathon for you to discover yourself? No, but that was perhaps a start in giving back. I ran three half marathons. I joined the committee of the Imperial Cancer Research Fund, as it was in those days, in Reading. And the big fundraising thing was the Reading Half Marathon. But they were trying to organise people to do different things throughout the year and for that. And it sounded like a lot of hard work. So me being me thought, you know what, I'll run instead. I'll get out of all the work. But you have to understand, I was never a, a, a distance runner. I used to be a sprinter and quite a successful sprinter. So my idea of training was to jog a little bit, stretch a little bit and sprint a little bit. And that was it. So I suffered badly. And I mean, really badly. And within 20 minutes, I was seized solid and couldn't even get in my car on my own. But it gave me purpose because I raised the money and it started to give me purpose. And then a few years later, when I did the self-expression and leadership program, and I ran two different events over two programs. And that's when I raised what, the first one over two and a half thousand pounds in one weekend. Uh, and people started looking, as I said, people started looking to me to organise things and do things. And it was what hit me in the face. You know what? Suddenly I am. You know, if, when you're passionate about something, when you believe in something, you get followers without even trying. Absolutely. And that's what I discovered. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that, Steve. Definitely. And had you been aware of the effects of personal development and how it could empower you before? No, no, not at all. It was pure luck. Um, I think it was because I'd taken a gap year and um, in part of that year I'd been to New Zealand, jumped off a mountain, as you do, fractured my ankle and it wasn't healing well when I came back home. So 
I wasn't able to do some things, but I went to, I saw this thing about going along to his personal development thing, and that's what started it. So, you know, I just, I went along, and it happened to be a weekend, rather like a Tony Robbins weekend, but it was Andy Harrington. I then went through the NLP practitioner, master practitioner, trainer's training, then did a hypnotherapy. But it's it's more about the personal development. I, re I realised just how much I liked that uh, and how I believed in that. And it's restoring that in everybody. And although I'm not teaching personal development now, it's still there. And I still bring that into anything I do. And I would imagine all of your NLP is still very much part of who you are and, and how you interact. Yes. And, and some of it's forgotten. And as so much as I'm not doing therapies now, I'm not doing anything like that or treatments, but the linguistics and the things about rapport and the communication skills, they're in there. Yeah, and of vital importance when you're focusing on human interaction, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, today I've, I've run a course for, um, I won't say the company, so it's a, a civil service company, but it's about sort of um, keeping safe in different environments. But within that, we're bringing in lots of personal development. So we're talking about how do you sort of keep calm and diffuse situations um, how do you sort of hold back instead of rushing in, jumping in feet first, things like that. So it's bringing in a lot of the personal development techniques and the definitely the communication techniques. So take yourself back, Steve, to, to when you were younger and you before you went on your gap year and threw yourself off your mountains and things. Did you foresee that this was your going to be your route in life? Did you see, know that you were going to be serving people at some point? I had no idea. Um, I used to be in, say, customer support, uh, and I was quite happy. I mean, the I moved to, oh, I've done it a lot in the UK, and then um, the company I went to the last few months before my wife died, they were based in central London, right in the city. And it was a challenge going in, driving down the M4 every morning. But one of the things it was, it was such a supportive and fun company. Everyone was was there, everyone was having fun. And everybody supported me. Um, for instance, I didn't. I was off work for six months, nearly six months after my wife died, or a couple of months before and four months after, to see her through her illness and to bring up my kids. They supported me to be on pay full time. And then my manager at the time said, "You know, you, I can as long as you can come back, even for two or three hours a day, I can hold off." And that's what he did. So that's. I had no idea what else I might do, and. It, that stage in my life, certainly after she died, I had no purpose. Before then, I think it was just the purpose was around family. It was around my wife and my young children. I hadn't thought much beyond it. It's amazing just how much personal development opens your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can get caught up in that busyness of family life without realizing, you know, what else is out there and what else is going on. And as you absolutely. and as you've, you've illustrated here, you didn't recognize yourself as a leader, although those leadership qualities would have been there. It was just that you didn't know what you wanted to lead. Yes, I think that's true. Knowing what you want to lead, what you believe in. Because it's not even really about passion. That, that certainly comes into it. But it's what you believe in. And if you believe in something, people follow. I say that with caution. I don't follow everything. I don't follow you jumping off a cliff. <laughs> so what's next on the agenda for you, Steve? Next? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't intend retiring yet for a few years, even though a lot of my friends have. I like what I'm doing. Um, what's next is to, is to get the business really thriving. 
because a lot of what I've done in the last few years has been as associate work. And where I'm now beginning to pick up some good associate work, I want to pick up good work under my own banner. So I want to really go out under that banner of the secret sales force and get into companies uh, and develop and develop the teams and develop the people. See, I say that in every company, there's three types of character. And I'm not talking about a one man or one woman band. I mean, a company, it's got a number of employees. There are usually a handful of ambassadors, people who do drive the business forward, who give the baker's dozen. That is, they give more than expected, go the extra mile. There are, on the other hand, right at the other end of the spectrum, there's usually a handful of saboteurs, people who just don't give a damn, undermine, sarcastic, poison the atmosphere in a company, etc. And the vast majority in the middle who are just neutral. And some of those neutrals are just jobs worth, and some are solid performers. But good is the enemy of great. And so people only remember great when it comes to renewals or talking about the company and recommending them to someone else. So I'd like to see more people moved up to be ambassadors because they believe in the job and they're passionate about the job. Yeah, I love that. And it's the ambassador of purpose within a business, the, the ambassador of the secret sales force. As you mentioned earlier, People who are aligned, have their, their values aligned with their work, will then be valued for their work, which means that then they're going to be valued externally from the customer's perspective. And where you're looking to move people along the line from saboteurs through to those norm, the sort of central neutral jobs worth, but all the way through to ambassadors, is it a case of aligning their values or is it a case of saying this is not the role for you? I think it's a combination of things. Um, it's one. It is about aligning values because if your va values are aligned, you will do. You will want to do more. Um, and it's really. It's also about people who are so happy in their work. So values come in there. You, you believe in the work. You're happy. Wherever you go, you put a smile on people's faces. That, that's the type of thing we're looking for. I believe also that you can do this by using good, effective external um, engagement surveys. And I do stress they must be external because employees do not trust internal surveys. So external surveys run regularly, not just once a year, not just for performance reviews, because that's a downer. A lot of companies just do things when it's performance review time. It's not about then. You haven't got time to correct things that might want correcting then. So it's listening to the people. It is empowering them because when someone's empowered, they feel they can make decisions and they feel value. No one just wants to be told, just do this, just do that, because otherwise it's just a job to them and no more. We want it to be more than a job. And what does it take to be more than a job? It takes engagement. It takes motivation. Um, and they come by being listened to and respected. So this is where I say the external surveys. You know, I use one called engagement multiplier, but it could be anyone, whatever you are using. You have to listen to the answers, and even though they're brutal, and they usually are brutally honest if, they're in, if they are um, anonymous, but you have to show that you're prepared to listen to them and take it on the chin and pull out the actions. And if you do that, people will respect you. So yeah, it is about, it's also about assessing, if you're a manager or an executive, assessing your team and thinking, okay, if it were a scale of one to 10, where one is totally disengaged and 10 is the ambassador fully engaged, where would I place so-and-so and so? And just 
without thinking, just mark down where. And then even leaving it for a few hours, come back and then start asking yourself, why did I mark so-and-so this, so-and-so that? What was it about them? And then thinking, what can I do to engage them more? But for the individuals, it's feeling that engagement and knowing that they provide value and aligning their values to the companies. And yeah, going back to what you said as well, sometimes it's about people should be leaving that company if they're not the right fit for that company. So the manager's job is to move people up from being neutrals to ambassadors, saboteurs to move them up to at least be neutrals or move them sideways out of harm's way or move them out of the company. Brilliant. Going back, I, I'm focusing on this again because I, I just love this moments of truth concept and, and being there to serve. What have been the biggest moments of truth for you in your life, Steve? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's been some real heartbreaking ones um, and there have been some really good ones. I, I mean, I, I often talk about this one in, in a talk I do. I was it was Christmas time and I bought a dressing gown for my youngest son who was living on the other side of London. So he was, he was a waiter at the time. And he had to go back to work on the 27th at lunchtime. And I bought a size too small. So it was a very expensive dressing gown from John Lewis. So I took it back on the morning of the 27th, getting up early, and took it back, went in the, in the stores on the first day of the sales, you know, wall-to-wall -wall people, really sort of hot and stuffy, fought my way through and saw a sign that said no refunds or exchanges until the new year. Well, I saw an assistant who was on her own, managed to get to her, explain the situation, and she simply stopped what she was doing, looked, listened and smiled and said, wait here and I'll see what I can do. She came down with a right size dressing gown, took me to an unmanned till because there were huge queues at the other tills and I worried I wouldn't get home in time to see my son off, opened it, dealt with the transaction and wished me a happy new year. Now I always ask this same question. Was the lady in sales? Was she in service? Or was she in leadership? She was empowered to make those decisions and she gave me a positive moment of truth. I can go the other end of the scale and talk about um, on British Rail coming back. I was doing a job, I forget what town it was in, and I had a rail pass. It expired at midnight. I was away for two or three days. It expired midnight the day before I travelled and I hadn't cottoned on. For some reason, I, I put um, JNR as not January, but June. On the, on the train, she was being quite sort of dogmatic, you know, I got the fine, you know, I, I actually appealed later and eventually got it appealed, but it was just the way it was done. Even though there and then I started on the train within two minutes, I was re-registering my card. So it's about jobs worth, they can be saboteurs. That's a, that was a, mo a bad moment of truth. Yeah, and with the power of social media now, the, the the sort of ripple effect that can then ensue because of one of those experiences. And it's not that you were trying to cheat the system. You just hadn't noticed. You hadn't realized. Oh. And it was so easy for you to rectify. It wasn't that you weren't going to pay for something. And so oh, by, you know, yeah, absolutely. So by saying you're yeah. going to get a fine, look where the ripple effect takes you there. And she wanted me to pay for a ticket again at a much higher price than it was uh, online anyway. Um, but it just was so unhelpful. And it was a genuine mistake. I, for some reason, I, I'd even put in my diary, renew it, but I'd put June, not January. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, it, was, it was my fault. It was totally my fault. And I had to hold my hand up to it when I appealed. But it's the people that can make or break that emotional contact. Because that's what the moment of truth is. It's an emotional interaction. I think Maya Angelou puts it correctly. The people will, remember, will always remember how you made them feel. They may not remember what you did, but they'll remember how, they, how you made them feel. And it's true, it's the emotional ones, which is why I say the indifferent, the good performances, you don't remember because there's no emotion. You only remember something really bad or something really good. It's really interesting, Steve, because I've now recorded over over 220. By the time this comes out, it will be 230 or so episodes. And whilst we've all heard the Mayor Angelou quote, no one's ever used it on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm that nervous about using it because I'm often told as a speaker, don't use other people's material all the time. So I try putting it in my own way. We remember the emotional experience and the emotional moment of truth. That's how I tend to use it. Absolutely. And I think what my point was there is that it's all about the emotion and we're talking about your purpose. And, and yet that, that that connection has not been made in, in, in that respect there. And I, I, absolutely the emotional interaction. So when you're talking about focus on human interaction, you're focusing on emotions. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Another point I didn't make earlier, um, the whole point of a secret sales force in many ways, it's... And in the Ann Carson's quote, and I do use this one sometimes, he says that if you're not serving the customer, you should be serving somebody who is. And I, I think I just love that quote, because that's what I believe the Secret Sales Force is about. Whoever is on the front line, wherever it might be, is serving the customer. So anyone else should be supporting them. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. So with, with the fact that you are focusing on emotions, focusing on human interaction, on, on moments of truth and knowing that you're there to serve, how do you stay focused? How do you stay on purpose? Well, there are, there are days when I don't. <laughs> We're human. We all have those days. I, I mean, I like what I'm doing generally. I, I would like to be having a little bit more business coming my way so i would like to pay people to do more of my work and take some offload work that's all which currently i can't do but i, I will be shortly how i stay focused i don't know it's um once i start doing something i love for instance i love standing up speaking i love delivering training you know i just once i'm started i'm just in the moment i'm there uh, it's doing what i like doing yeah, it's the whole icky guy, isn't it? Folding in your passion with your profession, with your vocation and your mission. And you create that wonderful icky guy in the middle. It's a funny thing. A lot of um, professional speakers in the Professional Speaking Association say they're, they're nervous speaking to their peers. I think that's the easiest audience. You know, I, I don't, I've never felt nervous speaking to my peers, certainly no more so than I would do speaking to a large audience. Um, so... No, I just like standing on stage. I, I get more energy when I'm standing on stage and I'm not an extrovert. I think I, I probably sit on the cusp, probably just tend slightly towards extrovert. That's all. So but I get energy from being on stage, delivering training and I, and I get the feel from other people. Yeah, absolutely. So so you find your your energy through delivering something that you love doing. It's, it's yeah. simple. I mean, and, and that is essentially what we're talking about here is finding that space where you don't even have to think twice about it. You just you just do, you just are, you just deliver. Yeah. 
And I actually, I always find it easier working with people than working on my own. Uh, I, I've never really, I've been working on my own for a long time, even at IBM, we were effectively home workers. They called it mobile workers, which meant you didn't get a desk and any other supportive thing. But but really, it's it's quite lonely. And I like getting, I like bouncing ideas off people. So when I'm, when I'm with people, I can bounce, I'm far more motivated than when I'm on my own. Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a force here, sales force, and essentially, you know, you can't be a force if you're on your own. I mean, you can you can be forceful and you can have yeah. force, but not really in that sense. So, yeah, and I guess also being part of a bigger picture. I mean, the army training would have lent you towards that. Yeah, the army training, I mean, it certainly gave me a, a broader insight. It gave me discipline. You know, I know how to look after myself should I need to. Um, and, I, and I've got to learn to respect certain things because I think respect is important. I used to um, class the secret sales force in five principles and I've changed one of them actually. I used to class the first one as respect. I've changed it now to relationships because respect comes automatically. I talk about empowerment um, because I really believe you have to empower people to get the most out of them. You'll, you'll never get the most out of someone who's just told do a job. When that's done, come back, go and do that. You'll never get the most out of them. I, I say there's got to be good communication. The culture of the organization has to be supportive and it has to have the right culture and right ethos where it is customer focus. And lastly, you have to engage. You have to engage your employees. And if you do that, you'll engage your, your customers. I love that. So I've just made a little sort of acronym there, which is RECI. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's suitable as I was in the army as well. Yeah, brilliant. It's great. So relationships, empowerment, communication, culture and engagement. I love that. That's great. So you mentioned that you are going to be building out, fleshing out the sales force, the secret sales force, that you're going to encourage more people to be part of your team and, and focusing on it. Um, no, not so much building my team this year. I want to talk, the secret sales force is about what I take, what I talk about companies, that they have a secret sales force of hidden resources. Um, and if they utilize those resources, they don't need to hire more salespeople. They can just use the whole company as salespeople. But equally, I say that the, the CEO is not, he's not the CEO. He's first and foremost in service. If he serves customers, if all the C-level, all the managers and all the people in the, in the organization serve customers first, then they've got a secret sales force because you will reduce churn or retain customers. And if you retain customers, profits go up because you're not you're not spending money on finding new customers. You've already got existing customers. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned hidden resources, Steve. What are your hidden resources? I think mine. one of mine is the fact that I like being around people and I, I just build relationships easily. Um, so what... I, I'm, I'm a good I'm good on stage you know I know I can get engaged that way I'm good with people I network well the things that I, I know my weaknesses I'm not good at administration I'm definitely not good at bookkeeping I keep on top of it only because I absolutely have to um, and so I have my weaknesses but I'm good with people and I relate with people and I'm enthusiastic around people and I love to see people grow yeah brilliant so your hidden resources are not so hidden, really. They're, they're pretty outward facing. Yes, perhaps so. I'm trying to think if I do have any that are really out of sight. Um, probably I'll think of it after. <laughs> yeah. And your superpowers, what would you say those are? Well, I used to be the fact that I was young and fit. 
I'm not so young, I'm not so fit now. Um, I used to be a, a good sports person, but my, my superpowers are the fact that I, I can see, I can look at things and see solutions to it. So yeah, that's perhaps a hidden resource. Now I say I used to be an engineer, so in many ways I am also quite logical. I can I know how to put things together, or not necessarily mechanical things, but I know how to look at problems um, and see solutions to them. So if anybody's listening to you, Steve, and they're thinking, oh, I need some help, I, I can't see the solution to a particular problem, how would they get in contact with you? Well, they can get in touch through LinkedIn, and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn because it's, um, it's my name. You know, just search my name on LinkedIn. It's not a very common name. So you'll find me so easily, Steve Katchik. And as my late wife said, that's a cat and a chick put together. It's also my website, which is stevekatchik.com. And of course, they can email me, which is steve at stevekatchik.com. Brilliant. Well, I'll, I'll make sure they go in the show notes just in case people are out and about at the moment or driving and they can't jot down those to remember. So no problem at all. Steve, thank you for sharing why you do what you do. It's been a pleasure to hear all about your moments of truth and your, your superpowers and your hidden resources. It's been really lovely. How would you like to close out the episode today? Um, I think I'd just like to reiterate, especially the Ian Carlson phrase, but if you're not serving the customer, you should be serving somebody who is. And I think if you're doing that and you align your values to the cause, if it's your own business, align it to the business. If you're working for a company, aligning it to the company, you will get more glow, more satisfaction, and you will be performing well and more likely get promotion. And if you want help in, in working out how to perform better on that, how to actually perform and see the, see the customers, or how to develop communication skills and handle difficult conversations and awkward people, then just give me a call. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or join the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.